This episode of the Outside Podcast is brought to you by Strava, the number one app for cyclists and runners. And now they're launching a podcast, Athletes Unfiltered. Athletes Unfiltered tells remarkable stories of everyday athletes in the Strava community, like Austin Reba, a mountain biker who watched the trails he loved go up in flames and then decided he was going to do something unprecedented to bring them back. I remember getting to the top of the ridge up on uh, West Camino Cielo and looking east and just seeing a wall of smoke approaching Santa Barbara. Burn your eyes, burns your throat, ash falling like snow. The podcast is hosted by ultra runner Hillary Allen, who shares her story in their first episode. In 2017, while competing in a running event so technical they call it a sky race, Hillary fell 150 feet down the side of a cliff. Everything she's done since has been just as unexpected. I feel like I'm someone new. People call this like a comeback, but I disagree because I'm not the same, nor will I ever be the same. I mean, even I'm constantly changing all the time. Whether you're competing in sky races yourself or just trying to make it around the block for the first time, Athletes Unfiltered is full of stories that make you want to keep training, keep going. You can subscribe to Athletes Unfiltered wherever you're listening right now. That's Athletes Unfiltered from Strava. Hey everybody, before we get started, just a quick heads up for people in the Pacific Northwest that at the end of the month, I'm going to be interviewing author Christy Ashwanden live at Powell's Books in Portland. Christy has a new book out about athletic recovery. The first chapter is actually about whether or not beer after a run is good for you. And we're going to be recording it for a live episode. It's free on February 27th, and you're invited. There's more information on powells.com, so come on out. From Outside Magazine and PRX, these are Dispatches, stories from our writers in the field. There's something big happening in professional surfing right now, and it's not happening in the water. Beginning in 2019, the World Surf League is offering equal prize money to men and women at every one of its events. This change makes them the only U.S.-based sports league to do so, and one of just a few to make that commitment internationally. At the center of the push to make this happen is big wave surfer Bianca Valenti. And I'm a professional big wave surfer and a restaurateur and a coach of surfing. I'm many things. Bianca is 31 years old from San Francisco. And over the last couple of years, she and the other co-founders of the Committee for Equity in Women's Surfing have waged a very strategic campaign to get women invited to Mavericks, one of the biggest contests on the Big Wave Tour, held at a break in Northern California. And their efforts to open up that contest became the flashpoint in a much larger change going on in surfing. The result? Equal prize money for men and women on the entire professional world tour. Outside's executive editor, Michael Roberts, recently had a chance to talk with Bianca about how she got Mavericks to change, and what it's like to be a woman trying to surf her way out of the tour. And it turns out that, in a way, Bianca's whole career has been leading up to this showdown. Mike takes it from here. Last December, the World Surf League held a contest at Jaws, the infamous giant wave that breaks off Maui. This is where Laird Hamilton and others made towin surfing famous. It's called Jaws because, well... They can eat you. Welcome to the Jaws Challenge at Peahi, the second event of the Big Wave Tour. And Forecast models were calling for really enormous waves, some of the biggest ever for a competition. Um, we're expecting surf in the 
40, 50-foot face range for sure. It's going to be an incredible uh, show. The first heat got off to a wild start. Elite women like Kiala Kenley and Justine DuPont were taking epic wipeouts. And Bianca Valenti, she took one of the nasties of them all. It was so bad that she got a concussion, something she told me nine days later, just minutes before I was going to interview her on a stage in front of about 400 people at an event in San Francisco called Outdoor SF, gathering of local gear companies. Welcome to the sixth annual Outdoor San Francisco, everybody. That morning, Bianca had been inside a hyperbaric chamber, getting oxygen therapy to help her recover. She was clearly feeling better, though, because she was drinking a beer as she told me this. Once we got mic'd up, I asked her to describe her own experience that day at JAWS. Could you tell us what, what your experience was like at JAWS just last week? Yes. So, <laughs> wake up 4 a.m., it's pouring rain out. You have to be at the harbor at 5 a.m. 5 a.m., get to the harbor. All the competitors are there. I've got my caddy and my support team. I have to stow them away on the boat because only athletes are allowed to go. Um, as, as we're heading out to Jaws, it's still dark. And our plan was the women are going to run first. And we chose that, you know. So, um, but at the same time, you don't, get, you don't get to assess the conditions, really. You're just, like, thrown into it. So as we're coming up to the break, it's really misty and foggy. And I was thinking to myself, like, have, are there any events that I can think of where they've postponed because you can't actually see, the judges can't see the waves, right? And so as we get out there, um, it's just like everything is chaos and it's like rushed and it's like, okay, the, First heat is in the water, and we're like, I'm in the second heat. And so I just was like, okay, I'm getting in the water, and I'm going to sit and watch the conditions from the water. And as I'm sitting there, um, I'm watching all my friends who are the best surfers in the world just eating shit. <laughs> and I was just like, okay. And then this huge set comes in that's bigger than this wave, and everybody gets cleaned up. And I was just like, it's not even 7.30 a.m. yet, you know? And I'm like, wow, okay. Like, this One important thing to know here, this was Bianca's second time surfing Jaws. The first time was almost a year earlier, in January 2018, when she paddled onto a huge wave that had fallen off. So this time, she really, really wanted to ride a monster. The heat starts and you're out there, and, and I was like, okay, I'm going for the big one, you know? Like, <laughs> that's what you got to do. You got to go for the big one. <laughs> You've got six people on safety who are dedicated to you, but turns out all those six people are busy rescuing everybody else. <laughs> so anyways, I try to catch a few waves throughout the, throughout the whole time. I'm watching Kayala throwing herself over the ledge, eating shit. Everybody's just going for it, going for it, going for it, but it's the waves are moving really, 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 really fast. They're really hard to catch. I start, I paddle for a lot of waves, and I can't catch them. And I'm on a 10-foot-2 surfboard. Uh, <laughs> and then finally, I was just like, okay, they're moving at this speed. I'm waiting for this really big one, and I stroke into this wave. And I was thinking, I've got a perfect line. This is a clean wave. And I'm going to make this. 
And then about one second later, I am on my back looking up. And I mean, that wave is as big as this building. And I was just like, what? <laughs> and then I like, and then I get instantly sent to the bottom, 30 feet down. And I pull my inflator and I was just pissed off because I was just like, what happened? Why did I fall? I thought I had that. I thought I had a perfect line. I thought I had a perfect wave selection. And it just holds me down, holds me down, holds me down, holds me down. And I'm thinking, oh, is this going to be a two-wave hold down? And um, <laughs> the very last second, it releases me up. And I get up there, and um, this guy, Victor Lopez, who's Jerry Lopez's brother. I don't know. Anybody know Jerry? OK, so. He's, a, he's like a pioneer of big waves. He picks me up, and I just instantly start screaming. And I'm like, what happened? Why did I fall? Tell me what I did wrong, please, Victor. Uh, and he's like, oh, Jaws is Jaws, and it can eat you or bite you at any time. So maybe stand wider next time. <laughs> or maybe pick a better day. After the women got thrashed, the men had just one heat before event organizers said the that conditions were too really dangerous fun. and canceled the rest uh, of the day. So I want to I want to rewind um, the clock a little bit and sort of understand a little bit more of your your journey, like how we got to here. Because the fact that Bianca was even at Jaws competing, and that men and women surfers were there competing for equal prize money, it's all kind of incredible. It's a very sudden change for surfing and a huge moment in outdoor sports. And Bianca Valenti was a big reason why. After our conversation in December, I wanted to hear more from her about how all this came about. We decided to meet at my house, north of San Francisco, which happens to be just a few blocks from the Italian restaurant she co-owns with her parents. Because being a professional big-wave surfer doesn't afford a glamorous life, or really even pay all your bills, Bianca has been training to be an Italian wine specialist. When she's not in the water, she's working tables at the family business. So one afternoon, before a shift... She showed up at my front door with a puffy nose, the result of her surfboard smashing her in the face that morning when she fell off the wave. Anyway, when we got into the interview, she told me she wanted to be a pro surfer ever since she was seven years old and got her so first board. The first week I started surfing, I got a poster of Kelly Slater, and I had put him on my wall. It said 1992, Kelly Slater, world champion. It was the first year he won it. He was 21, and I thought, I want to be like that person, <laughs> you know? And I just didn't realize that you kind of can't. No one else well, gets okay. to be Kelly Slater other than Kelly Slater, of course. But if you were a boy growing up in Southern California in the late 1990s and early 2000s, and you were beating everyone your age in surf competitions, you maybe had a shot at a pro career. But Bianca came to realize, painfully, was that for girls and women, talent wasn't your most important asset. Unlike on the men's side, the big dollar sponsors weren't looking for winners. They wanted models. I got frustrated in high school. I was competing in professional events. And at that point, I started to, I had a lot of sponsors and I, and friends who had sponsors and, you know, things would happen. Like this didn't happen to me, but a friend of mine was told she had to lose 20 pounds or she would lose her sponsorship. So it was, it became very clear once you started paying attention or like, you know, what? 
once you're not a little kid and you kind of you look through a magazine and there's meaning to things and you're not just going whoa that's cool that's cool that's cool um I I realized that wow I've been surfing since I was seven and I never see a picture of a female in a magazine you know that represents surfing or the only female in there is the reef model wearing a g-string um and that was tough because just as a kid you want you have big dreams and if you want to be a pro athlete you also want to be like I said like I wanted to be on the cover of surfer magazine when I was eight I was like this surfing's awesome it's cool to be on magazines (laughs) surfing's fun I'm good at it and so it was it's like you dream really big and then all of a sudden you're at the top of the podium but you aren't getting the support So Bianca quit competing for a while, but she kept on surfing. And when she started college at UC Santa Barbara, she became a force on the surf team. So I was doing really well in everything. And I was just like, there was just this underlying rage factor where I'd just be like, man, I'm I'm here at UCSB and it's awesome. UCSB is like a fabulous place to go to school. You're living at the beach. There's this, we had a surf team. We were the national champions every year. I was the captain of it, you know, tons of friends, all, lots of fun. And, um, but there was just this underlying thing, like I should be a pro surfer and why do I have to go to school and be here? And why can't I be, you know, on the trips to Tavarua? And, um, and, and you know, every time I'd, I'd be out in the water, guys would acknowledge it or they'd be like, whoa. You know, I've never seen a, a girl surf like that or a female. And so it, there was always people like reaffirming my skill level. And so that's really what fueled the bullshit factor where I was like, this is such bullshit. <laughs> you know, the the way, the the inequity in, in surfing. And so, Away from competitions, Bianca started seeking out bigger waves, often with guys she'd met in the water. But it wasn't epic rides on huge swells that convinced her she could be a big wave hero. Instead, it was a near drowning that got her hooked. On an early winter day in 2006, she and a friend named Parker paddled out at San Francisco's Ocean Beach, which is notorious for nasty riptides and a punishing beach break. Even veteran surfers can spend half an hour trying to make it out through the whitewater and just give up before ever catching a wave. But Bianca and Parker didn't have any problem. And sometimes when you make it out too easily, it's a bad sign. Um... So this kind of like bigger 10-foot wave, you know, 10-foot, like bigger than a doorway, is crumbling, coming at us. And that's a lot of white water to duck dive. Then, straight after that, there is like a 15 by 15-foot wave. So it's like 15 feet tall, 15 feet wide. And I just remember never having seen anything like that in front of my face before, like right about to hit me. And I looked at Parker and he said, well, see you on the other side. (laughs) And um, I tried to duck dive. When I ducked over under, I started flipping and twisting and being absolutely ragdolled and beaten and throttled like I had never, ever felt this kind of of power before. And um, I had finally the ragdolling stopped. And I opened my eyes and it was all black. I don't know if I was just deoxygenated or what, but uh, that, at that point I didn't know which way it was up and my foot touched the sand. 
So um, that was good. And I started slowly swimming to the surface, very slowly, maybe two, three, four strokes, because I was just out of gas. And I thought right before the surface, if there's another wave like that, I'm going to die. And um, I didn't even have any like emotion about it because I was like so exhausted. (laughs) And I came to the surface. There was not a second wave. Here I am today to tell the story. And um, my, my, I was gasping for air, gasping. <gasps> and my body was convulsing in places like my cheeks and, and my neck. And like the whole body was just like pulsating. And I have never experienced that before. Looked at Parker, saw him there. He said, I'm going in. And I said, like barely could say me too. Um And then we got to the sand and I just stood there looking at those waves going, I want to ride those waves. I know I can do it. I've got the skills for it. And I never looked back. Something had happened to Bianca underwater that day. She felt the raw power of the ocean. She loved it. She wanted more. She moved up to Marin County and fell in with a crew of guys who encouraged her to chase down bigger and bigger waves at Ocean Beach the kinds of spots few people know about. One guy in particular, Nate McCarthy, owner of the Proof Lab Surf Shop, kept telling her that she shouldn't give up on her dreams of being a pro. So she answered a few shortboard contests and really didn't have that much fun. But in 2012, she took a moonshot. She flew to Hawaii for the Pipeline Pro. The event takes place on the north shore of Oahu at the same break as the famous Pipeline Masters. But that men's only competition is always in December, and the waves are huge. The women's contest happens in March, when the waves are a lot less huge. And that year, the conditions were a special kind of nasty thanks to something like 10 days straight of monsoon rains. But Bianca, she killed it. And then the rain stopped, and the window for the contest was like, they had to run it at that point, and we were surfing in big waves, like brown water, like chocolate. And um, it was so gnarly. And I ended up taking down all the, like, pretty much best pros in the world, best at big waves. It was like Kelly Kennelly, Claire Bevilacqua, Rochelle Ballard, Melanie Bartles. Um, and I, you know, that really, and that was awesome. The waves were not amazing, but... It got, you know, like, I was like, wow, I just beat all these big names, all these heavyweights. Maybe, you know, there is something to this for me, the big waves. And then, so then I decided, you know, but I still didn't find the support after winning that event. I thought I was going to catch a break. Not really. The breakthrough moment for Bianca and for women's big wave surfing came in 2014 at the Nell Scott Classic in Oregon. The event was part of the men's professional tour, but organizers invited Bianca and a dozen other women to compete. So for me, I was actually coming off an injury. And I remember getting the email at like 10 at night. I was um, seeing that the event was going to go off in three days. And I was three months off of an MCL tear. And uh, I called my physical therapist right away and I said, hey, they're going to run the event. What do you think? Do you think I'm ready? Can I do it? And he's like, well, I probably shouldn't tell you to do it. But if it was me, I would do it (laughs) because he's a surfer too. And he was like, just make sure you don't fall. And I was like, 
She did fall on her first wave, but it was after getting a good ride in. Then she caught another huge one. Getting to the beach and they're like, you won. And I was like, no, yeah. Um, and a beer company, a local beer company, uh, threw down some money for us in the end. And so all the ladies got a little bit of money. I got, I think, like a thousand bucks. Everybody else got the excess. And uh, then we had the award ceremony that night at um, the local Indian casino. And it was just, you know, hilarious. And I thought, yes, the, let's do this. this the women had served really well in Elscott. The organizers and spectators loved it. To Bianca, the obvious next step was to push for a full big wave tour for women. She talked to the other competitors, and they agreed. They wanted in. They want. They were wanted a tour, and so. Um, but then, you know, when we'd ask or try to discuss with organizers of events, um, there was pushback. There was pushback in. Not everybody's ready to surf at Mavericks. Not everybody's ready to surf at Jaws. Uh, There aren't enough of you. The skill level's not there. It's dangerous. Um, At one point, those arguments might have been legitimate. Till relatively recently, there weren't many women riding Mavericks. But by 2016, there were more than enough to support a women's heat at the event. And the growing controversy around their exclusion was attracting national media outlets, including CBS. In the 17 years since the competition was first held, only men have competed. It's not a gender thing. It's a performance thing. Women just aren't there yet. Jeff Clark was the first to surf the spot back in 1975. Not surprisingly, Bianca was the most prominent voice on the other side. Bianca Valentini disagrees. She's been surfing the waves here for about eight years. Big wave surfing has kind of been seen as a boys club. Totally, yeah. Those arguments saying there aren't enough women, they don't surf well enough, they maybe used to hold true, but now those excuses don't work anymore. As it turned out, the most important ally women surfers had in their campaign to get into Mavericks didn't surf. Sabrina Brennan, a harbor commissioner for San Mateo County, can see the break from her home. And she'd been paying attention to the Mavericks contest since it started in 1999 as the quote, the men who ride mountains. She'd been a competitive snowboarder in her 20s, and she wanted to watch women at Mavericks contests. So in 2015, she made a short presentation to the California Coastal Commission, which issues permits for events along the coast. Brennan argued that they should require a women's heat as a condition to the next Mavericks permit. Writer Kim Cross covered this saga for Outside Online. So she basically goes and makes this three-minute pitch to the commission in 2015 and says, uh, you need to include a women's heat uh, in order to give Mavericks this permit. Um, They sort of agree, but instead of making a heat the condition of the permit, they say, no, contest organizers, you need to give us a plan to include women in the future. As a member of the Harbor Commission, Brennan was well-versed in public policy. Her argument was based on an environmental justice clause in the California Coastal Act, which stated that no person can be denied equal access to any program or activity operated by the government. And since holding Mavericks required the state to close off a section of the coast, women had to be given the same access to the event as men. It worked. By the winter of 2016-2017, women were invited to compete. But big enough waves never materialized for a competition. Then things really snowballed. 
the group that had been running Mavericks went bankrupt. And the World Surf League, which had a newly appointed woman CEO named Sophie Goldschmidt, took over the contest. Sabrina Brandon and Bianca Valenti saw an opportunity to push for more. Not just inclusion at Mavericks, but the exact same money the men were getting. Add it all up, a progressive-minded sports league, hard-charging activists, lots of media attention, and you get to September 2018, when the World Surf League makes its monumental announcement granting equal prize winnings to men and women at all of its competitions. And a ton of things happened. There was a ton of negotiation, but uh, the announcement was still kind of a surprise to a lot, but it was a very, very big deal. The really intriguing question is whether the same public policy arguments that broke open Mavericks can be applied to other sports. After all, a lot of events take place on public lands or depend on public resources, and the agencies that manage those resources can enforce anti-discrimination guidelines. Bike races use public roads, stadiums are built on public land sometimes, and even public parking lots are critical for a whole host of competitions. And so for me, the more interesting topic that comes up now is just thinking of public resources and open spaces and, like, that we all pay tax dollars. Like, I don't get a tax break because I'm a woman, right? You know, so... Bianca told me that in the wake of the World Surf League's decision, she's gotten a huge amount of positive feedback. At the Jaws contest back in November, she says the men were as excited about the future as the women. The sentiment was, we're all in this together. I asked her if this made her think a lot about her teenage self, when she was so angry and frustrated about needing model good looks to make it as a pro. She said no, but admitted to holding on to those feelings. That's what's driving her to make things different for kids growing up around the beach today. Oh, yeah, one million percent. It's I think of I don't think of my younger self now, but those feelings have lasted. And I want to change that for the little girls and boys who are coming up. So that way we can really see what, you know, girl surfers are capable of in performance. We need the support. We need the resources. You, you know, it, it all goes to getting better and to exploring human potential. And that's what is so exciting about surfing big waves is going places we've never been before. That's Bianca Valenti talking with Mike Roberts. He wrote and produced this piece. It was edited by me, Peter Frickwright. Music by Robbie Carver. You can read Kim Cross's story about equal prize money at OutsideOnline.com. Searching her name is probably the easiest way to find it. Thanks to Outdoor SF for letting us record. This piece was brought to you by Strava and their new podcast, Athletes Unfiltered. If you like this show, you'll probably like that one. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. If you want Bianca Valenti's help pairing wine with, I don't know, a rabbit pappardelle, her restaurant is Valenti & Co. in San Anselmo, California. The Outside Podcast is a production of Outside Magazine and PRX. We'll be back in two weeks.